Well, years after Paul was saved, he went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus, and he shares with Peter and James and John and the Jewish leaders there the gospel that he was preaching among the Gentiles. Uh, and Paul said that he perceived the grace that was given to him, uh, and, and they offered him the right hand of fellowship, saying that Paul and Barnabas and Titus should go to the Gentiles and that they would stay back in Jerusalem and in the, that area uh, to minister to the Jews. And then we read in Galatians chapter 2, verse 10, uh, that they asked of Paul just one thing. And that one thing was that we should remember the poor. He said the very thing which I also was eager to do. And Paul did indeed remember the poor. Uh, and for over a year, he's been taking a collection from the Gentile churches to help the poor and suffering saints who are in Jerusalem. And the Corinthians said from the get-go, they wanted to participate in this offering. They wanted to give to the suffering saints in Jerusalem. And Paul writes 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 to encourage the Corinthians to follow through on their commitment to give. Uh, and, in, and in doing so, he's going to be laying down principles, many of them actually, on giving. And he opens up this topic with the example of the Macedonians and how they gave. Uh, he wants uh, the Corinthians to know the grace that God had poured out on the Macedonian churches uh, and how they gave generously and how they gave liberally even though they were greatly afflicted and even though they were in a deep poverty. They were dirt poor. Uh, and how if anyone could get a pass on giving, it was the Macedonians for they really were living day by day, struggling just to put food on the table. Uh, but because of their great joy in the midst of all their troubles, they counted it a privilege. They counted it an honor to give. They saw this participating in a fellowship of something they wanted to do, and they didn't want to be denied the blessing of giving. They didn't want to be denied that. Uh, in fact, they pleaded with Paul to let them give to the Jerusalem church, for it seems that Paul didn't want to take their money. And, and, and although they didn't give a lot because they didn't have a lot, they gave according to to their ability and to Paul's amazement he says even beyond their ability uh, and the reason why they were able to do so was because first they gave themselves to the Lord first they gave themselves to the Lord so their hearts were given to Christ he had the throne of their hearts and like Paul for them to live was Christ therefore it was not too hard for them to give him everything else like their monies like their possessions well Paul then goes from the excellent example of giving uh, of these poor and hurting Macedonian saints, uh, and then he says to the Corinthians, uh, you need to be givers as well. You need to, to pick up where you left off. And he reminds them, he reminds them of how God has already richly blessed them. Uh, and he has graced them with many things, like he says, faith and speech and knowledge and diligence and love. But now he says you need to excel in the grace of giving. And by the way, giving is a grace. And, and Paul said he was testing the sincerity of their love for God and for the saints by the diligence of the Macedonian saints. For who you love, you also give to. And then he gives the ultimate example of love and giving in the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 9. When he says, for you know, and they do know this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. So Christ who was rich beyond any of our wildest imaginations, being God, 
being with the Father and with the Spirit for all eternity, having all power, all authority, and sovereign rule over the universe that he created and was worshipped by angels, leaves or left those riches, if you will, for a season, veiled his divine attributes for some 30-some-odd years while here, so that he could be born into this world, take on a second nature, human nature, human flesh, and live among us and be one of us. So he could save us. So he could save us from the wages of our sins, which is an eternal death. So he became poor. He became impoverished in the incarnation. He left the glory that he had with the Father and tabernacled with men, most of whom didn't believe in him most of whom rejected him. And they hated him. And eventually they would crucify him. And Paul says, the reason he became poor was for your sakes. It was for your sakes. He didn't leave glory for the angels. He didn't take on flesh for the angelic world. No, he did it for sinners. He did it for sinners, for helpless and hopeless sinners, whom God loved and whom God elected to save. He did it for our sakes, that we might become rich. Not monetarily rich, as some claim today, but spiritually rich, eternally rich, that we might begin to know the unsearchable riches of Christ, that we might know him who is the true treasure from heaven. Well, now in verses 10 to 15, Paul brings it down a notch. Uh, and, and in a, a very practical way, encourages the Corinthians to start up the giving again. Uh, and, and he knows, he knows that there may be some hindrances that are keeping them from giving. Uh, so he gives them some practical principles uh, to help them with that. And what I'd like to consider today in verses 10 to 15 in a sermon titled, Hindrances to Giving, uh, is look at three hindrances to giving, uh, and they'll be your three points, which would be, and they're all a single word, ending in I-O-N, procrastination, hesitation, trepidation. So procrastination, hesitation, trepidation. Let's look at procrastination in verses 10 and 11. Let me read those again. Uh, And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you must also complete the doing of it. That as as there was a readiness to desire it, there also may be a completion of what you have. Well, Paul starts by saying, and in this I give advice. In this I give advice. And and since giving is not a command, which we looked at the last time in verse 8, he gives advice. He's giving advice. And he's giving advice guided by the Holy Spirit. So clearly generosity is not something that can be commanded. Nobody can command you to give. It must be voluntary. It must be from the heart. So Paul advises them. As he does in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he advises the unmarried and the widows, and he says, it is my thinking, my advice, guided by the Holy Spirit, you're better off staying where you are. But if not, every man should do what the Lord would have him do. But he gives advice. And now his advice to the Corinthians is, it is to your advantage to finish what you started. Finish what you started. So it's your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you've got to finish it. Right? So a year before, the Corinthian saints genuinely desired 
to, to help support the suffering, impoverished saints in Jerusalem. And, and for some reason, they stopped. And a year has passed. And they have not completed what they promised to give. And the question is, why did they stop? Why did they stop? Well, certainly, could have been, maybe part of, because of their rebellion against Paul, which was incited by the false apostles and false teachers who had infiltrated the church. Uh, and, and, and they're accusing Paul of many things, uh, but one of the things they're accusing him of is being in it for the money. All right? Uh, um, the, you know, that, that Paul was, he was crafty uh, and, and, and looking to make a payday for himself. That this collection for the Jerusalem saints was to line his own pockets. Right? They said he was a peddler of the word, which of course they were peddlers of the word. Peddlers meaning they're trying to make money by bringing some sort of gospel, not the real one, but trying to make gain out of it. Uh, and isn't it true that liars and evil people usually accuse others of the very thing they're guilty of? You don't have to think far about this. Uh, it happens all the time in politics. Politicians accuse other politicians of doing things they do. How about the media? They're accusing people of doing things they do. Who can you trust? Well, you trust the Lord. So the Corinthians uh, thought Paul wasn't on the up and up when it came to money. And nothing cripples a person's confidence to give more than a loss of trust in their leaders. If you don't have confidence in your leaders, and I'm talking spiritual leaders here, you won't support what they support. So their stopping of giving could have been because of their rift with Paul. But I also believe it's also because of procrastination. It's also because of procrastination. Paul may have been part of it, but I think so too was procrastination. And procrastination means to put off something that requires immediate attention. To put off something that requires immediate attention. Uh, and and, and but the, procrastinate, the procrastinator's favorite word is tomorrow. Tomorrow. All right. Why do today what you can put off till tomorrow? And procrastinators are like the sluggard and the lazy person in Proverbs. Read Proverbs 14. In all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads to poverty. Don't talk, do. Proverbs 20, verse 4. The lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. It's too cold. I don't want to go out there and do stuff. It's cold. That would be me, actually. It's cold. We read in Ecclesiastes 11.4, he, he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Oh, it's cloudy out. Wow, look at that wind. It's whipping up. I don't want to go out there and sow. I may lose my seed. And the watch out here is this, is what James says in James 4.17, 4, that to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. To him it is sin. Well, the Corinthians committed to help these poor saints in Jerusalem, uh, and they knew it was a good thing to do. They, they thought it was a good thing to do, and it was a good thing to do. Their hearts were so moved to do so, uh, and they actually started to do so, and then they stopped. And because they stopped, it became easier and easier to put it off. Right? They had good intentions, but their good intentions were put on the back burner. And maybe you can relate to this. You go to the gym, I got to get in shape, I got to get a little exercise, a little cardio, break up the blood clots, I got to do stuff. And you go, 
oh, and then something happens, you get a little tired, busy, and yet, then you don't go, and then you don't go, and then you don't go, and it becomes very easy not to go, right? I mean, do you know that? Am I the only guy in here that does that? We do that, right? We have good intentions. How many Christians have good intentions to do those things that'll help them grow in their walks? They have good intentions. They have good intentions that they want to get more serious about their relationship with Christ, but they don't follow through. Like, I'm, I'm going to be at church. I'm going to be at church. I'm going to get there even before the service starts so I can focus my mind and ready myself to praise God. I don't want to get in there when the songs are being played already and you know, the plates being all passed around or you know, Pastor Pete's up there finishing up. I want to get there and I want to be prepared. I want to be prepared. So they get up early. Right? They get up early. They, 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 they want to they get there early. They have their clothes picked out maybe the night before. They get the kids ready by such and such a time. And they say, I'll even leave myself a few minutes to find a parking space in this not so easy area to find parking. And maybe they'll do this for a Sunday or two, but they fall back into old ways. And their good intentions are for not. Or they say, I'm going to make it to Bible studies on Tuesday nights, because I know that would be good for me. Like, who wouldn't say that? I know that would be good for me. They say that. They know it'll help them grow. They know they could use it. So they mark it on their calendar, Tuesday night. Uh, They make sure they're home on Tuesday night, and once they've eaten, they sit down, get comfortable, maybe start surfing the web. Maybe there's a show on they want to watch. Maybe there's a game on. The time is flying, and guess what? They don't get up and go. They say, next week. I'll go next week. I'll go next week. So then good, good intentions are for not. They've given into procrastination. How many believers have vowed to get serious about reading their Bible and praying? And by the way, this has been me over the last 30 years of my Christian life. Up and down, up and down, up and down. Vow we're going to do it. Vow we're going to do it. We're going to read more. We're going to pray. We're going to get serious. Uh, They agree this is 100% necessary. Which Christian would say, I don't think reading my Bible is a big deal. I don't think I need to pray. I throw the Lord five minutes, I'm good, right? Would we say that? No, of course not, right? We know it's good. We want to do it. But day after day, night after night, other things get in the way of reading and praying, right? They're tired, just got home from work. I don't want to do anything, Uh, or just whatever, things happen. And this is true also in giving. We say, I want to give more back to the Lord. I want to be more like the Macedonians than the Corinthians. I want to be like the Macedonians. Listen, I have spent 50 hours in the Macedonians studying, and you know what I come away with? I need to be like the Macedonians. You need to be like the Macedonians. We all need to be like the Macedonians. We should pray that we would be like the Macedonians. I want to use my money for the advancement of the kingdom. I want to use it for the advancement of the church. I want to use it to support solid missionaries. I want to use it for needy saints. I want to do those things. And that's what I want to do. But those good intentions never end up coming to fruition. Other things pop up. You'll do it next week. Next week. And then next week. And then next week... It becomes next month, and next month becomes we'll do this next year, and you never end up doing it. Or you say, I'm going to evangelize. 
I'm going to share my faith with people. I may go out with the church. I may go to the manger ministry and go out there in that very dark, dark, dark area on the front lines of evil. I may go do that. And you know it's a good thing. You know this is a good desire. And you want to do those things. But when the time comes to do it, something else more important at that moment. And there's always next time, next week. But next time doesn't come. So what happens with procrastinators is they're not redeeming the time. They're often wasting it. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but wise, redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. How much time do we have? Right? How much time do we have? 20 years, 30 years, 50, 60, 70? A year? Oh, I don't want to waste it, right? Let it be to the Lord. Let it be to the Lord. We need to be a people who takes Ecclesiastes 5, 5 to heart, which says, better not to vow than to vow and not pay. It's easy to do that. Lord, I'm going to do this. Lord, I'm going to be there. Lord, I'm going to give that. Lord, I'm going to serve in this way. But then we don't do it. Something else comes up. Well, Paul says, I give you advice. And then he says, it is to your advantage. So it's to your advantage. It's profitable to you to want to be more involved with giving to Christ. For remember, Proverbs 19 says, 19.17 says, he who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 10.42, whoever gives to the Lord is blessed by the Lord. And, and it's to your advantage because it blesses others. And when you bless others, that blesses you. When you bless others, that blesses you. And it helps you to trust God to provide for you. Uh, and it keeps you having a right perspective on money and stuff. And it reminds you that and it's really not yours anyway. And it reminds you uh, of all the Lord has given to you. And it's to your advantage, uh, for you will grow in the grace of giving. And Paul knew that this would help the Corinthians to begin to look outward instead of inward and to esteem others better than themselves. He knew it would help them to break the grip of greed. You may not think we have that, or you have that, or I have that, but it's really easy to have that. And free them from the prison of procrastination. Uh, and if you look at 1 Corinthians, the first letter that we have, what you see in there was the Corinthians were all about me, 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 me. It was all about them. It was all about them. That was their attitude. Uh, and this would help them to lose that. Because by nature... We're very self-focused. We just are. And as Christians, we got to lose that, and that takes grace, and that takes time, and be other-focused, king-focused, and then everyone else-focused. Uh, and he knew, he knew that a willingness to give generously and then following through on it would bring them an assurance who ruled their heart. Right? How do we know we're really saved? Well, Pastor Phil is going through 1 first first, uh, first John and he's going to give you a lot of ways. But one of the ways is that you want to give. You want to bless. Right? It would tell them who ruled their heart. And we know that from Matthew 6 where Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. And here it is, you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is money. You can't serve both. They both can't be king. One of them is king for all of us right here and now. Either God is king or money is king, or stuff, 
we'll put it all in that category, right? By nature, when we're unsaved, clearly stuff is king. But when God saves us, now Christ is in us, and now he becomes king over our lives, and we just have to let him have the rule of our stuff, which we're just really managing for him as long as we're here. And their follow-through would show them they weren't serving mammon or money. Well, an important principle in giving is this, that you give out of what you have, and we will consider that in our next point. Point two, the second hindrance to giving is hesitation. Hesitation. Verse 12. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. And hesitation is where you want to do something, but you're just not sure if you should do it. I want to do it. Like little kids, when they're little children, you know, like Eliana's age, they want to take a step, but they're not sure, what am I going to fall? And they're like, they're a little hesitant. Hopefully that's a good thing, right? They're a little hesitant, or a little Ephraim. A little hesitant. This could be dangerous. That's what hesitation is. So the Corinthians said they would help the saints in Jerusalem, uh, that they committed to already doing that. Uh, they had a readiness and a desire to do this a year before, but now it seems they're hesitant. They don't quite have the readiness and the desire they once did. Right? It has waned over time. Uh, and they're hesitating because they're thinking, they're thinking, how much can we really give? Does Paul expect us to mortgage the farm? Right? Does he expect us to empty out our bank accounts to give? Are they supposed to clean out the coffers to send this offering? So yes, they were willing to give, but now there's some hesitation. Hesitation that they can, they can only give so much now, and it's maybe not as much as they first committed to. And Paul calms their minds, and he says, listen, if you were willing to give, then give out of what you have, not out of what you don't have. Give out of what you have, not out of what you don't have. And that's the principle. That's the principle. You give according to what you have, and, and, and not what you don't have. Right? You give according to your ability, just like the Macedonians gave according to their ability. They gave what they could. Now, it wasn't a lot. We've said that over and over again. It wasn't a lot at all. Um, so so they, they, they weren't committing to give $10,000 when all they had was 100 bucks. Right? That would be foolish. So they gave some of their 100 bucks. They gave out of their 100. So they gave with a willing heart. Uh, and, and they gave with a mind to give what they could out of what they had. So pledging or saying you'll give what you don't have is foolish. It's just foolish. It's foolish. Or, or saying you'll give so much, but then not have enough to cover your own basic needs in life or your family's needs, again, is foolish. We're told in 1 Timothy 5, Paul says, if anyone does not provide for his own, and that's your family, if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his own household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So, so fathers, husbands, wives who work, you provide for the family, right? Don't, don't be stealing from the family to give, right? Don't be taking food out of your kid's mouth. Don't do that. Don't give so you can't pay the rent. Oh, I would be paying the whole rent this week, but I just gave, I just gave half of it to the church. Well, that's kind of foolish right there, right? Don't give so Con Ed is going to turn off your electric or the bank is repossessing your car, don't give so you're depleting the opportunity for your kid to go to school. 
or that they don't have shoes that fit them because they outgrew them last year. The principle here is God is not asking you to give what you do not have. He's not asking you to give what you do not have. Let's not think for a second that God needs our money. That is a faulty view. God does not need our money. God doesn't need anything we have. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need our stuff. He doesn't need our stuff. Right? And, and he's not, he, doesn't, he doesn't need what we're doing for him. We don't do God a favor by serving. We don't do God a favor by giving. We don't do that. No, we're merely giving back to him what's already his. We're like little children. And I remember this as a kid. Well, like, I did this with my mother. I wanted to buy my mother a Christmas gift. I was about eight years old. But what money did I have? My mother and father didn't believe in allowances. You just had to do what they told you to do. And so I wanted to buy her a Christmas gift. I had no money. My mother gave me like two bucks to go buy her something. I went to a store. I found a powder puff thing. I don't think she ever used it. You know, the thing for the, after a bath or something. And I gave it. I was so happy. I was so happy. I had to use her money to buy her a gift. <laughs> but that's the principle. That's the truth. We're using God's money to bless God's people. We're using God's money to further the kingdom, the church. We're using God's money to help those who are struggling greatly in the kingdom and sending out missionaries so that churches can be planted in other places so they could do the same thing. You see, it's his money. We're just using his stuff. He says, okay, Jose, I give you this much. You know, Walter, I give you this much. Ray, I give you this much. Fabiola, I give you this much. may not be the same amount at all, but whatever he gives you, he's given it to you to be a steward of it, so some of it goes to those things. For your own needs, yes, but also for the kingdom. So whenever we give anything, we're giving to him what's already his. We're giving him what's already his. But God accepts it. Even if it is small and insignificant, if it comes from a willing heart, he accepts it. It's like the poor widow who put in the two mites, and by the way, that two mites wasn't doing anything for anybody. That wasn't, that wasn't keeping oil in the lamps to keep them lit up. It wasn't, it wasn't fronting the priest to do what they had to do. Two mites. You know, it's like someone puts 10 cents in the, in, in the offering today. You could do that if that's all you have, and praise God if you do, but it's not gonna probably change a whole lot. But let's look at how God views that. Those two mites were huge. Let's look at it in Luke 21, verses three and four. Now, she puts in two mites. All everyone else is putting it out of their wealth. They're throwing in 20s and 100s and 1,000s and whatever else. They're hitting big numbers there, right? But Jesus says this, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all, for all these out of their abundance have put in offerings to God. But she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. All. So she literally gave next to nothing, but Jesus, he says in God's eyes, she's the biggest giver. She is the biggest giver. And God is well pleased with that. You see, it's never what we think. What you do doesn't, shouldn't make a difference to me. I can't gauge, I don't know the heart, and you don't know the heart. God knows the heart, right? He sees the heart. We should give with the heart. So God was pleased with that. It would be like, Amelia McKeon, where is she? You're paying it, where is she? So you're listening, you're going to give me one thing later, right? No, nah, she's listening. You can remember this part. So Amelia McKeon, she draws a picture for her father, gives it to her dad. He takes it to work. He loves it. He treasures it. 
He puts it by his desk. Everybody that comes by, he says, my daughter drew that. There's an Amelia drew that for me. Now, and, and his coworkers go, that's amazing. That's no Van Gogh. That's no Rembrandt, right? Nobody's sitting there paying 100,000 for that thing. They're not probably paying 100 cents for that thing. But because Amelia means everything to him, he highly values that drawing. He highly values it. Where's the other Amelia? There she is. She made a drawing of me preaching about six months ago. You know where it is? It's pasted on my bookshelf where I work. Now, Amelia, it's not worth much really, but since you drew it and it, and it hit my heart, I'm saving that picture. I'm saving that picture. So he disdains God. He doesn't disdain the big gift as too flashy. He doesn't disdain the small gift as too meager. Right? He disdains no gift if it comes from a willing heart and from a willing mind. And that's the key to giving. That's where it starts. It starts in the heart and mind. It's never about the wallet. It's what's in the heart and mind. He's going to say, Paul's going to say in chapter 9, verse 7, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Not grudgingly or of necessity. Oh, I can't believe I got to give this. It's killing me. I could use this for 50 other things. Oh, oh here it goes. Right? Or, or that somebody's twisting your arm. Oh, if I don't do this, I'm going to be bad before God. No, no. He says, God loves a cheerful giver. I'm so delighted that I could give him back who gave me everything. And we see this in the tabernacle, right? When it was being built, uh, that those who had a willing heart gave to the building of the tabernacle. Exodus chapter 35, verses 21 and 22. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing there's the heart stirred, and that makes the spirit willing. And they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all its service, and for the holy garments. They came, both men and women, as many as had a willing heart, as many as had a willing heart, and brought earrings and nose rings and rings and necklaces, all jewelry of gold, that is, every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord. They're going to melt that stuff, and they're going to make the articles in the tabernacle. But nobody was forced. Nobody did it grudgingly. They had a willing heart. Right? So they gave it a willing heart. They gave out of what they had out of a willing heart. We see in Acts eleven twenty nine, 29, there's a famine in Judea, and we read this. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. That's a willing heart. So Paul is saying to the Corinthians, is, 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 is you're, you're, you're hesitating on giving to the Jerusalem saints because you can't meet the commitment you made a year ago. But don't worry about that. Just do what you can today. Just do what you can today. Right? Just give out of what you have now. For maybe a year ago, they had more than they do today. Maybe for providential reasons, uh, they, they just can't do today what they could do a year ago. Uh, and, and, and Paul says, that's okay. Just give what you're able to give today. The Lord knows what you can do and what you cannot do. So do what you can with what you have and don't hesitate to give. That's what he's saying. Uh, and we shouldn't hesitate to be give givers. Right? We shouldn't conjure up a hundred different scenarios. 
uh, of what may happen down the line. If I give this, but you know, I might get this bill, I get that bill, and who knows when I retire, if I'm gonna have enough. And we got this thing, I gotta get an apartment, I gotta get a house, I gotta get a car. Bup, 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 bup. And, and then we just go down the line of all the possibilities. I can't do that. Give today out of a willing heart of what you have. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. The Lord knows what you can do and what you can't do. So we shouldn't be and can't be givers who hesitate, right? We shouldn't conjure up all the thousand reasons why we can't give right now. That can keep us from giving. We should give out of what we have today and trust the Lord to continue to provide for us. Now sadly, the prosperity preachers today are trying to get people to give what they don't have. Trying to get them to give what they don't have with false promises of much money coming back your way. Either you're going to get a better job uh, or somehow, somehow money is going to miraculously show up in your mailbox or someone's going to dump a couple hundred thousand into your checking account or your savings account. Like it's just going to happen. But the biblical principle is give according to what you have, not what you don't have. All right, so the first hindrance of giving was procrastination. The second hindrance is hesitation. And now the third hindrance, trepidation. Trepidation. And there we see verses 13 to 15. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance uh, may supply their lack, and their abundance may also supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. And the word trepidation means to fear, to worry, to be apprehensive. Apprehensive. A- and what the Corinthians are worried about is that if they give generously, it may bring hardship on them. Uh, if they commit to giving so much to the saints in Jerusalem, th- they may not have enough for themselves. And Paul eases their fears by giving them another principle in giving, and that is Equality. Equality. So he says, I don't mean that others should be eased and you should be burdened. I don't mean that you should give to the point uh, that you have needs, that you lack, that you can't meet your basic needs. Uh, And that the poor saints in Jerusalem, well, they should be living well. Uh, That they should be without wants. Uh, that, That you should want and they shouldn't want. So this isn't a Robin Hood kind of thing where you rob from the rich to give to the poor and taking it a step further. Uh, that the poor becomes rich and the, and the rich become poor. That's not the case at all. It's not what he's saying. The Corinthians could be thinking, uh, you know, are we to deplete what we have to make the Jerusalem saints financially sound? Should we do that? Are we to put ourselves in the, finan- in the fiscal crunch, so to speak, to, to get them out of one? Are, are we to be burdened so they could be eased? And by the way, the word burden means affliction, tribulation. It means distress. So are we to put ourselves in distress so that others are out of it? Well, they're not. Not at all, actually. Paul continues and says, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance may also supply your lack, that there may be an equality. And when people hear the word equality, We get a little uneasy with that, right? We get nervous because we think communism, socialism. We think that. That's not what it means here at all. Communism is where the government owns everything. 
uh, and then they give everyone something out of it. That's communism. Socialism, supposedly, is where the people own everything, and everyone gets the same amount from the people. It doesn't work that way, really. Just look around the world and you'll see that. But the Bible doesn't recognize or promote either of those. Rather, here's what it recognizes, that there are rich people and there are poor people, that some people own things and some people don't. That's what it recognizes. Uh, and the call is for the rich or the better off to help the poor. Uh, and certainly, that's how it should be in the church. Uh, and, and we know that this is, this is not how it is in the world. Because there, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And usually the rich get richer because the poor are getting poorer. But in the church, what we see is not an equality of money not an equality of ownership, but an equality of necessities. An equality of necessities. That's the key here. All right? That's what we see. Necessities of life, like food, clothing, shelter, the day-to-day -day things that we need to live, like transportation to go to work so we can pay our, our bills, school books for the kids, and so on. Uh, and this should come from the heart. It should come from a desire to give and a readiness to help. And we saw that in 1 Timothy 6, but I'll read it again. Paul says, command, that's a command, those who are rich in this present age, not to be haughty. Oh, look at me, I'm rich. I own 10 houses. I got you know, a zillion dollars in bank accounts. You know, I own the whole block and everything else. Don't, don't, if you are rich, then God has given you that and you praise him for it. And you give back accordingly to him as you're able, right? Don't, don't be haughty. Don't think you're better than other people. God gave you that. What do you have that you have not been given? Well, the answer is nothing. Everything you have is given you. Nor to trust in uncertain riches. Don't trust in those things. It's very hard. Listen, I think better to be poor than to be rich, truthfully. Because the rich guy is trusting in the riches oftentimes. The poor guy doesn't know, he doesn't, he could be wanting the riches as well, but doesn't have anything. Right? Don't trust in those things. Don't trust in uncertain riches, but rather trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that are rich in good works. Let them be rich in good works. Ready to give, I'm ready. Willing to share, I'm, I'm, I got the heart for it and I'm ready to go, right? I'm not holding this tight and I'm not squeezing it so no one can get it out of my hand. That's what he's saying, ready to give, willing to share. Those are the, the two thoughts right there. So listen, helping the poor saints is not going to put them on easy street. It's not going to drastically increase their, their quality of life. But here's what it's going to do. Hopefully, it's going to help them to eat this week and maybe next week. And it's going to put gas in their car so they can continue to go to work. And it's going to keep the gas and the electric on. Uh, so, so your giving helps supply their lack. And people have different definitions of lack. We need to describe that. To some... Lack means I don't have anything higher than an iPhone 13. I lack. I lack the 14 and 15 or whatever else is out there now. To some, lacking is only having $75 Pumas instead of $300 Air Jordans. They lack. For some, lack means they, can only, they can't go out to eat to dinner once, once a week. Or they have to eat leftovers a couple of nights a week. But Paul's meaning of lack is necessities is necessities, things that you need to live, not things that you want or things that you like. Now, there's nothing wrong to want things and to like things. 
but we're talking need here, right? Listen, I don't need ice cream. I like it, right? I like it. I don't, I don't need a lot of things, but I like some of them. I don't need a microwave. I like it. It makes life faster, right? We don't need it to live. I could live without a microwave. Drop me into some third world country. I'm living without a microwave. You know what I'm saying? There's need and then there's desire. And we're talking need here. Now, there is another qualifier here. Uh, we should really consider giving to someone, you know, who lacks because they won't work, but they could work. Or they use money foolishly. Should we give to someone who won't work, but they could work? Should we give to someone who seems to be lacking, but they could work? They just don't want to work. No providential hindrance here. They just, you know, I don't really feel like doing it. I don't want to do those eight hours a day traveling buses and trains and that kind of thing. Or should we give to someone who spends money foolishly? Now concerning work, Paul said very specifically in 2 Thessalonians 3, if anyone will not work, and the, 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 in, the impression here is they could work. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Right? So if someone can work but won't work because they're lazy and they're mooching off of others and trying to get a free ride from the government, so to speak, don't give to them. Don't give to them. Right? Oh, I got to give to everybody that needs. No, 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 no. Needs really needs. But if they can help themselves because God has given them the ability to do that, but they don't want to work there, or I don't want to do this, or I don't have to travel, I don't want to have to spend a half an hour to get to that place, well, then you don't really need. You just want convenience or lack of. I want to give to them. Or if someone uses their money foolishly instead of taking care of the, the necessities that they have in their family, uh, then don't give to them. What do I mean? What do I mean by that? Well, if they're spending money on tattoos... Broadway shows, uh, they are f- frequent patrons to places like Peter Luger's and other five-star steakhouses, right? Or they're taking lavish vacations or charging up a fortune on Christmas gifts while they're late on their rent, or their kids have holes in their shoes, then you probably don't want to give to them. Take care of what you need to take care of for the, the benefit of your family. Stop using money foolishly when you have, you have definite needs. I will not help support somebody who does that. I think we've got to think about that. Right? We've got to think about that. But if they have legitimate lack, legitimate lack, for whatever reason, providentially, they can't work, they're sick, right? Um, the industry closed down and they, it's impossible to get a job right now. Well, we ought to help them. We ought to help them. We, we should be there for them. We should give and give with a good heart. And, and Paul says, give because your abundance supplies their lack. Uh, and there may be a day when their abundance will supply your lack. And I know it doesn't seem like right now that the poor saints in Jerusalem would somehow be able to give to the, to the, to the, to the somewhat wealthy saints in Corinth that the tides would turn like that. But here's the thing. They could. They could. If persecution ramps up in Corinth and the poor saints in Jerusalem, um, um, the tide turns there, it just might, have to, just might be the case. And to drive home this point of equality, Paul quotes Exodus 16, verse 18, and verse 15. He says in verse 15, as it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over and he who gathered little had no lack. So what he's saying is, I'm going to show you biblically 
how if you give with a good heart to those who really lack, you know, that, that God would give you this equality. There in Exodus 16 again, all right, the Lord told the people to let every man gather it, this is the manna, according to each one's need, one omer, that's a measurement for each person according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. So everybody gets an omer. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered, some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered according to each one's need. And Moses said, let no one leave any of it till morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry. In other words, they were hoarding it. He said, you get one omer a day. Don't be taking more, and don't be saving it for tomorrow. Eat it for today, and tomorrow you'll get more. So the people were allotted an omer a day, an omer of manna a day. And whether they were able to gather more or less, everybody in the end had enough, which means those who gathered more gave to those who gathered less. So maybe somebody young and strong, like a Jamel, could gather a lot more than someone older like me, or maybe a Walter. So he would give some of his thoughts. Everybody had enough, right? And, and that's Paul's point. That's what he's saying. Everybody had enough. If those who have more meet the needs of those who have less, then nobody would lack. And again, none of this is commanded. You're not obligated to do this. This is not a command from God that you've got to do this. This is rather from the heart. And the Christian should be a giver because we've been given, right? And we're going to end all of this, as I said before, in chapter 9, verse 15, the whole crescendo here, right? The grand finale of giving. He's going to say, but thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You give, give with a good heart, give generously, give according to your ability. If Lord willing, give even beyond your ability like the Macedonians. But here's why. Because God is a massive giver. He's given you more than you can even, even fathom. He's given you his son. But thanks be to God who's given us his indescribable, we can't describe it. No words here. No words. If you're the recipient of that indescribable gift, it ought not to be this massive struggle to give according to your abilities, what Paul's saying. Well, let me close by leaving you with three questions and one thought. First question is this. What have you started but you haven't finished? What have you started, but you haven't fi finished? Have you given your word to help one of the saints, but you just haven't gotten around to it? Have you told the Lord you're going to spend more time with him to be more involved in the church and in sharing your faith? Or that you were going to prioritize him in your giving, and that still hasn't happened? Still hasn't happened. Listen, brothers and sisters, let us not be procrastinators or hesitators or live with trepidation, keeping us from giving back to the one who gave us all things in his son. Let us not be that way. Second question. Do you experientially know the joy of Jesus' words that it is more blessed to give than to receive? So contrary to the world we live in, is it not? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Do you know that? Do you know that? Because if you do, keep, keep doing it. Keep giving generously and keep giving with a willing heart. Keep blessing others uh, with what the Lord has given you. Keep seeing your money as his money. 
keep being part of advancing his kingdom and extending it, his grace to others. Keep doing that. Now, if it isn't true, when you really do not know the joy of the Lord in giving, if you don't know that, that it's more blessed to give than to receive, if you don't believe that, if you don't experience that, uh, and if you don't, you're not filled with joy, and then you want more of that joy, then, then you've got to ask yourself, why? If it's not, then you've got to say, why? Why aren't those words true for me? Is there a deficiency in my Christian life? And here's the thing, you're missing out on blessings that you could have. You're missing out on them. And what you don't want is, as one man said, is to live the Christian life as a born-again Scrooge. I love Jesus, I love Jesus, I'll do this, I'll do that. You know what? I mean, this is mine. Oh, everything else is the Lord's, but this is mine. You don't want to be a born-again Scrooge and remain a stranger to the joy of giving. Third question. What hinders you today from being a generous giver? If something does, what hinders you today from being a generous giver? I don't know. I don't know. I've told you before, and I'll say it three more times as we're in these two chapters, I have no idea what anyone gives. No idea. You could be floating the church, or you could be as stingy as a day is long. I don't know. I guess the trustees would know, but even they probably would forget. What hinders you today if something does from being a generous giver? Because if you know what it is, you've got to pray that God would take that away from you, that you would be generous. Because God is generous, generous, generous with you and I. He's, he's given us more than we know. And then what's coming, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. You can't even begin, and I can't begin to imagine the glory to come. Those are gifts. Those are blessings. God is generous with us. All right, my thought is this, is that we should give that there is an equality, but remember that God is the great equalizer, meaning that in reality, we're all equal at the foot of the cross. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. We're all children of wrath and sons of disobedience. That's what we were before we were saved. We were all enemies of God. We were all lawbreakers and offenders of his holiness. And we were all under the judgment and condemnation of God, whether rich or poor or white or black or successful or unsuccessful, whether upper class, lower class, we were all under sin and on the road to ruin. And God, who is rich in mercy, God, who is rich in love, sent his son to become one of us, to save us, to save us, whether Jew or Greek or male or female or white or black, whether Scythian or free or slave, whether from this tribe or that tribe or tongue or people or nation, the blood of Christ was equally applied to all of God's people. Listen, Jose didn't just get a sprinkle or two and Stephanie got a pound of it or a gallon of it. We all got enough. We all got enough of the blood of Jesus to cleanse us. God didn't sting out on giving the blood here. All right, we all got enough. All of God's people have gotten that. All of God's people have the righteousness of Christ applied to them. It wasn't like, like the poor Christian, the weak Christian, the lesser quote-unquote Christian didn't get this. We all got it. Equal. We're equal in God's eyes when it comes to all of this. Now here's the thing. If you're not one of God's people today, if you're not born again today, you can be. You can be. The riches of Christ, which are beyond comparison, indescribable, can be yours. Salvation can be yours. Sins forgiven can be yours. But, Scripture says you must repent. 
You must repent of your sins. You must throw yourself upon the mercy of God. You must cling to Christ to find life. If you do, you will find life. And you will forever lack nothing in him. Amen? Don't let it go. Don't let it go. Let's pray. Father, how amazed we are at just how good you are. Lord, you didn't have to give us your son. You didn't have to give us the gospel. You didn't have to give us your Holy Spirit living in us. You didn't have to give us your word. You could have marshaled us off, all of us, right into hell as sinners and lawbreakers, but you are a God full of love and compassion. And you've had mercy on us, and you've given us great and mighty and abundant blessings. You've given us the very riches of Christ. We have this day every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And Father, I pray when it comes to this topic of giving, uh, Lord, that we would be not people who would hesitate. Lord, not, not people who would have uh, be procrastinators or worried or fearful, but Lord, that we would trust you. We would know the joy of trusting you, the joy of giving back to you. You bless our souls as we trust more and more you in this area and every area of life, Lord. Father, we need to trust you. We need to trust you and your promises. You will always be with us. You'll always care for us. You take care of the lilies of the field and the birds in the air who have really no great value. How much more will you take care of us? So, Father, I pray that we would grow in our trust for you, that this grace that must be given by you would be given by you, and that we as your people would trust you more and more and be freed from the grip of greed and anything else that might have us, and that we would be a generous people, generous toward you in all ways. And Father, for the soul of souls sitting here today that has never truly come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, Father, we plead with you, please have mercy on their souls. Show them that they're in deep poverty and they can have spiritual riches in Christ and be given new life, that his blood can cleanse them from all their sins. Grant, we pray, Father, the gift of repentance and faith. And do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.